Hello, welcome to another episode of the B-Ball Index podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by my bookie. I am your host this week, Jacob Goldstein. I am joined by my lovely co-host, Tim. Tim, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Jacob. Uh, I'm, I'm have it going through my cleanse, you know? People have their, their juice cleanse mm-hmm. of things. I've gone through a little bit of a non-basketball cleanse, and I think it's given me a clear mind, and it's helped me think about the data and the film a little bit differently. So I'm interested to bring that new zen to, to our discussion today. For sure, yeah. The WNBA regular season's wrapping up around now, and uh, with FIBA World Cup basketball about to start this upcoming week, it is uh, nearing the end of the dead time for basketball news over the summer. Today, we are going to be talking about a few things, but first, Tim has been looking at using our developed player grades uh, based off players' talents in 11 different skill sets to better identify different roles of players and better identify uh, how those players are and, and specifically which players are excelling within those roles and, and are really optimized to be put into positions to succeed, specifically talking about off-screen shooters. Take it away, Tim. That's right, Jacob. So we've, we've spoken about our offensive grades before, our defensive grades before, and I think what's really interesting to me is figuring out the different ways to say, well, hey, of those different, I think we have eight offensive grades. If we pick these three mm-hmm. and we find players who are good at those three, what types of players are those? Do they tend to be used similar ways? Do they tend to pressure defenses in, in similar fashions? And today we're going to be talking about a, an assortment of talent in a couple of the, the areas that we measure that I think very well defines a role and a skill set for players that can be very valuable. And, and we see you know, low usage, medium usage, high usage guys exhibiting abilities to pressure a defense as off-screen shooters. Absolutely. So when, when I say off-screen shooters, this this is off-ball, you know, Steph Curry standing in the corner and somebody runs and, and sets a pin-down screen for him and he's running from the corner to the wing, catching and shooting. Or maybe a, a flare screen or, uh, you know, hammer action, elevator screens, different things where a player who has good shooting ability is running off of screens from teammates when neither of them has the ball and then is looking to catch and shoot. Absolutely. For that, we're, we're going to be looking at perimeter shooting or perimeter shooting talent grade, our off-ball movement talent, talent grade. And then I want to touch on a little bit later finishing and playmaking. Because I think if we just think about, you know, if we start off with who is a good shooter and we look at the top 20%, top 20% of players, so A's or A-minus grades, we have 105 guys from last season who are good shooters. That ranges in ability within that 80%. And it also ranges in the types of shots or the, you know, the ability to finish off of motion versus just standing still. You could be a great shooter, but if, if all you can do is stand still, catch and shoot, that pressures the defense less than if you're running around screens and creating extra gravity in that sense. And in gravity is a concept we've we've spoken about in the past. So when we take that 105 guys. And then we also add the extra criterion of you have to have an A or an A minus off ball movement grade. It drops from 105 to 45 players. 
And then of those 45, since, since our off-ball movement grade also looks at cutting quite a bit, if we just look at the players among that group who have at least half of an off-screen possession per game, just looking at synergies play type data, that narrows it down to 35 guys. And that 35, 35 players, they may not be used very high volume in that specific role. These aren't all movement wings as, as one of the dozen or so offensive roles that we've identified, but these are players who we would think have the right skill set in order to be effective in a role like that. So these are guys like Reggie Bullock, um, hey, Chris Paul, Fred Van Vliet, uh, Landry Shamit, uh, even someone like Nikola Miritich, um, Derek Rose, Quinn Cook. I can I can name all kinds of different guys. Buddy Heald, Clay Thompson, Paul George, some of the the bigger names, Bojan Bogdanovic. Those are all players who, just looking off of those two skill sets, we would assume should be able to be deployed in those different ways. Once we uh, and go ahead, Jacob. I was I was just gonna say uh, as, as you talk through this exercise, I, I think this is one of the great utilizations of the grades along with other data synergy to better define players' uh, roles specifically. But it's a great way to demonstrate for listeners how to use this grades data along with other supplemental data to really start honing in on uh, just various role possibilities. As you said, now all these guys are heavily utilized as off-ball shooters as well as uh, getting a really good sense of what guys uh, are, are really making an impact in this role, who have the other ancillary skills to also become stars or currently are stars. And I just think this exercise is a really great job demonstrating the value of using the film, the synergy, our uh, player talent grades to help identify players and roles within the NBA and who really is excelling within those roles. Absolutely. And we've done things similar to this in the past by looking at hey, here's what the grades say, here's what some of the impact data says, and here's how we would interpret that. This is similar to that where we're, we're bringing different pieces of data together and trying to be creative with, you know, mm-hmm. not just looking, them, looking at them at face value, but trying to dig a little bit deeper and see how they can work together to tell us more. And what I really like about this exercise is each, each time you raise the bar a little bit, you narrow that pool of players but the new pool of players makes a lot of sense. And so we've talked about, hey, you can shoot, check. You can score off of movement, and, and we know that it's from those off-screen possessions, check. The next thing that I'd be interested in is looking at what types of off-screen movement are you doing? When you're coming off of a pin down, you're standing in the corner when, when somebody comes and sets a screen, are you always just coming off of that straight and running right to the wing to, to catch and shoot? Because if, if you do, I mean, that, that's an important thing, and sometimes that's the right read, but there will be times where your defender uh, locks and trails behind you. So, so when I say that, I mean, you, you essentially get behind, if you're the defender of Steph Curry and you're locking and trailing him, you're pretty much trying to get right behind him, get on his hip, and get in a position where you can just kind of follow him no matter where he's going. So if he just runs to the wing, you're right there and he can't really get that shot off. In an instance like that, you would want the offensive player to curl. And we can look through that synergy data at, hey, how frequently is somebody going off straight? How frequently are they curling? How frequently are they fading off of that? Because there will be certain times where 
you know, maybe the defense goes underneath the screen and tries to beat you to the spot. And if you can see that they're doing that, instead of running from the corner to the wing, take a couple steps to the wing and then go right back to the corner and you'll be wide open. So looking at players' ability to have a more diverse uh, usage, a more diverse repertoire of abilities off of these similar simple actions is a step into the IQ of those players. And if you can make those reads better, the defense is going to do something no matter what. Either they're going to switch it, they're going to lock and trail, they're going to try to go under the screen. Maybe they just get knocked right over by the screen. There will be a right call, a right read for the offensive player. And the more frequently that you do that, the more likely you are to be open more, get more shots up, get easier shots up. So that's where I like to look at the frequencies of these different things and say, hey, you know what? Uh, Danilo Gallinari, he's coming off of about one and a half off-screen possessions per game uh, that, that's leading to a shot or a turnover or, or him just getting to the line. But about 90% of those are him just coming off, coming off straight. He's not really curling. He's only curling 2% of the time. He's almost never fading. So that's somebody that can shoot, can go from point A to point B, but doesn't, at least in that data, it doesn't indicate that he's really able to make those reads as well, which is a step below somebody like Kevin Durant, who will curl, or somebody like uh, CJ McCollum, who does a really good job of fading. Same thing with like Bryn Forbes. Those are players who have that extra, you know, card in their hand that they can play. So when you do A, they they counter it. Um, so that's something that's really interesting to me. That's something that I would encourage people to look at. Uh, if we look at some of the players who fade most frequently, uh, Landry Shamit's up there. Mike Conley does this quite a bit. Paul George is a very cerebral player, and he's not used like a movement wing a whole lot. But he certainly has that skill set to, even if he's not running pick and roll or ISO, he can be in a secondary role like that and score a ton just with how good he is at shooting and how smart he is with making these reads. Um, Bryn Forbes is up there. Steph Curry's up there. JJ Redick. These are the players who are more comfortable in understanding of when to do A versus B versus C. So I, I, I think, does that make sense, Jacob, when we're looking at really what's in their toolkit. Because if you only have one tool, I can, as a defensive coach, I kind of know how to shut it down. But if you can do pretty much anything, it's it's much harder to game plan against you. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely true. That's, for me, the difference between a good player and a star is the ability to not just do one thing really well or, or two things really well, but take the, the same basic action coming off a screen and turn it into this very multifaceted attack where the defense either doesn't know what you're going to do or you're so good at what you're going to do that it doesn't matter if they know and you're able to beat them anyway. So I think breaking it down this way with uh, filtering by shooting and off-ball movement and then looking at um, the way they're using these off-ball possessions uh, does a really good job breaking down those players who either highly specialized and can get away with just doing one thing or have so many tools in the the toolbox that it doesn't matter uh, that you're never going to be able to just guard them one way coming off the screen because they if you guard them one way they're going to completely counter and get a wide open shot or create an open opportunity for a teammate uh, with their gravity or movement 
Um, and, and I think that's something that really shows looking through this data and the way that we're filtering it. For sure. And, and just if you think about it on the defensive side, if I know that there's no chance that you were ever going to fade that pin down, I can cheat underneath and try to meet you towards where you're going to catch the ball without any fear that you're just going to get a wide open shot in the corner because you recognize it. Or if I know that you're never going to curl that, um, either either you don't have the the willingness or the the I mean some players just aren't good finishers at the rim, so they'll try to avoid doing that. But if you can't or won't do it, I'm going to lock and trail all day long and know that you're not going to take what the defense has given you. Um, so that's the next step. And then if we take it a step further and say, hey, we also want to look at guys who are good at finishing at the rim when they are curling. So again, we'll say A's or A minuses. So maybe a high bar, but I think this is really where we get into moving on from just strong off-ball shooters to guys who can do that and then also really get to the rim and and really be a trouble for a defense, um, not just with that gravity on the perimeter, but turning that into driving ability to collapse the defense. Once we do that, we go from 35 guys who we had before all the way down to seven guards and wing players. Um, So this is Tobias Harris, Paul George, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Kyrie Irving, and Kawhi Leonard. These are stars. These are, these are maybe not all superstars, but these are very, very good players. Um, And then we also have two bigs in Carl Anthony Towns and Marcus Morris, who also fit into that threshold. And these are certainly guys not running the same actions, perhaps, but they are at a high level still using off-screen possessions, and they're also pretty good at that finishing component. So maybe they, they, they snuck their way into this, but you could make the case that, hey, if you're using flare screens or some of the less, I don't know, mobility demanding off-screen possessions, these guys have the talent and IQ and finishing ability to make the most of those. So I think that's interesting. We drop all the way down to nine guys or seven guys if you drop the bigs. And then I think that final step where it's really, you know, these are your your superstars who can truly do it all. And they're going to be able to make plays once they are curling or once they do run off of that pin down and attract two guys to them. When we add playmaking to this, we drop down to Paul George, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Kyrie Irving, and then Carl Anthony Towns among the bigs. So five or six players who have the shooting, the off-ball movement, the finishing, and the playmaking to, I think, really have that full package when you're looking at the off-screen shooters. So that's, yeah, I mean, do those names sound right? Those names sound right to me. Absolutely. And especially when you were talking, when you brought the bigs in and started talking about Carl Anthony Towns, I think one of the things that makes him really unique as an offensive big is his, he actually does have an ability to kind of run off screens and make havoc as an off-ball shooter, which as a seven foot tall big man is virtually unheard of and and to be able to do it at such a high level while having all these other complementary offensive skills around at his game is uh, uh, really a testament to his talent and the fact that we began filtering looking for off-ball shooters and one of the best if not uh, the best volume 
off-ball big man shooter currently in in the league who isn't like just strictly a shooter or anything like that uh, immediately pops up as one of the only bigs to reach these criteria I think is is very telling uh, as to how we're going about this exercise. Yeah, it's a testament to him and I think the fact that we're including that off-screen possession usage criterion as well makes sure that this isn't just some fluky hey, he has the talent grades, but he's not actually having any of the usage at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to set the usage threshold too high to the point where we're unable to identify players who have the skill set, but just aren't being used enough. I I, I love to use stuff like this and this this sort of data to say, hey, this player has the skill set. You should be able to do more of this with him. Um, And I think that half a possession per game balances that pretty well getting rid of the very very low volume guys while not setting the bar too high and the fact that he's still able to to meet that I think says a a lot about what he's able to do and the other player that comes to mind who didn't meet this this threshold but we've seen used in the past off of off ball screens is uh Anthony Davis is a guy who when he played for Monty Williams they would run him off of pin downs just to get him the ball around the elbow having a big man close out on him and with his driving and, and his dribbling ability, that was a unique way that they made sure they got their superstar the ball. So it's it's interesting to see different creative ways to get your better players in positions to succeed and not just to score, but to be able to play make as well. So that's a neat list. Um, if we look at this a little bit differently and we start off our list by saying we're only going to look at the players who are categorized in our offensive roles as movement wings. And then we look at just the shooting and the off-ball movement. Uh, The players that this is their job, this is what they do a lot, and they're good at the shooting, and they're good at coming off the screens. We have Clay Thompson, obviously, no-brainer. Bojan Bogdanovic, J.J. Redick, Jamal Murray, Joe Harris, Darius Miller, Landry Shamit, and Langston Galloway. So these are the guys who are good at that and do it hell of a lot. Um, So another list that I don't really see any names on there that don't make sense. Um, And these are the types of queries that I would encourage people to try to play around with in our grades and tools document as part of our data and tools package. Um, Just that $5 a month, you can go in and in that grades and tools document, one of the tabs that we have is pretty much a, a, it's like a player search tool where you go in and you say, hey, who are the guys that have at least a B for finishing and a C plus for playmaking and a, I don't know, a B plus for offensive rebounding. And it recalculates and spits those guys out. You can filter by positions, by minutes played. This is the type of exercise that you can use that exact tool to do. Um, it doesn't, I mean, we have a lot of data, but none of it, for this sort of thing, this is something that the people listening to the podcast right now can go do themselves. They don't need us to, you know, go under the hood and dig into a bunch of secret secret stats. And I think that's a, another cool thing about what we've been able to put together. And I would love to hear what other sorts of skill sets kind of like that off-ball shooter role that combine multiple talent grades people can find. Absolutely. And, and just you going back to saying that, the, the reason we built a lot of the tools in our data and tool package were for our own use when doing research to make our lives quicker and easier. So the whole point is just to provide a, a 
service that does the work for you and all you have to do is spend a few minutes looking through players and grades or, or whatever uh, tool you're looking at specifically. It's uh, great to have everything already done for you, make it really easy just come in, put down a few categories you want to see and come up with a list of uh, the 30 or 34, I believe you said, guys who, who fit the criteria for off-ball shooters. Yep. And, and that'd be an easy way, hey, during the offseason or around the trade deadline, who are the guys who have the skill set that our team really needs? I don't know. Maybe your team has a lot of different things, but you need that off, off-screen guy. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you need that rim-protecting big. Or, or I don't know. Pick, pick your archetype and screw around with the tool, and you, you can find the different things for that. Absolutely. Jacob, do you, uh, you play any fantasy football? I do not, know. I'm oh, okay. I, I always give up give up on fantasy sports too quick. I'm I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I, I had my fantasy <laughs> draft recently. I, I just moved from Texas to DC, so I've just been sitting in a hotel, just cramming for this draft. I think it went pretty well. I'll say some some other people didn't have such great drafts, but uh, another part of you know what we do as as a company at b-ball index and also kind of ties into you know football season getting started is bets and and projecting games and betting against the spread on the over-unders we've been doing our stuff with the WNBA, and i think when our models agree we're at like 63 percent against the spread i believe and i think 56 or 57 percent on over-unders um but Mm -hmm. i mean we can give you the picks but but you still have to go somewhere and, and place the bets and our Sponsors today um, is mybookie.com. Uh, mybookie.com is somewhere that they pride themselves on having better bonuses and more prop bets than other any other sports book. And those are the interesting things. Uh, you know, put your money in and, and get the most free money for for the deposit that you're making. So that's something that if you're going to look at any place to go bet with, mybookie.com is is going to help you out with those bonuses. And then on the prop bet side. It's it's quite difficult figuring out exactly how much each team's going to win by, but you've got a 50-50 shot on what the coin flip's going to be or if the the Washington State flag is going to show up at college game day that given week. Um, so there, there's some of the more lighthearted, fun things or, hey, I don't know, Tom Brady's going to throw over or under 200 yards today, things like that. Uh, those are all things that you can do over at mybookie.com. Um, I, I would encourage you to, Head over there. Uh, the Blue Wire podcasters are using mybookie.com slash Blue Wire to sign up this year. Um, one neat thing that they're starting is a handicapping uh, super contest where uh, first place is guaranteed to win at least $100,000 and it only costs 100 bucks to enter. All you really do for that is pick five NFL games against the spread every week and just see how you end up stacking up week by week compared to other people. So don't need to pick every game. Everybody's not just picking one game. If you can pick five games every week against the spread, uh, see if you can rise up to the top and win that $100,000. Another thing my bookie does is the live in-game betting, which which I know can be dangerous. Uh, or it can also be very good for you seeing how the tides are turning and, and placing that bet before, before the market catches up. So they've got that live in-game betting on every NFL game. Um, They've got some of the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for the fantasy guys out there, you can even bet on the over-under on fantasy points for how much a player will score each game. So not just yards or touchdowns, but the actual fantasy points that players will score. So that's a, a neat way to tie things in. 
Um, there are a lot of people out there pr- right now probably saying, hey, I drafted very well. Well, you know, give it a couple weeks, <laughs> have an injury or two, and maybe, maybe your quarterback will retire and, and you'll need to turn to other ways to really fuel that, that football fire. So visit MyBookie online today. That's uh, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E, MyBookie. Um, and don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE when creating your account to claim, claim that bonus. So head over there, bet some games, pick those games against the spread, bet on that Wazoo flag showing up at game day and win some money. I love that you can bet on the coin toss. I don't know if I, well, I mean, <laughs> if we're going to be real, don't bet on the coin toss. <laughs> no, no, of course not. It's a, literally, there's no, like, there's no way to get an at inch least there. You can, there's no way to even model it. It's actually just a 50-50 chance. Like something like if you can bet on who will win the tip at an NBA game, there's probably something you can do to model how good players are at winning tip-offs. Coin flip's a coin flip. Yep. And, and, and I mean, the thing to remember is it, it might be 50-50 no matter what, but if you're paying $110 to win 100 bucks, that's not 50-50 odds right there. So mm-hmm. go, go, go bet on the wazoo flag showing up, things like that. Um, Actually, tying into Wazoo, Washington State University, their their coach Mike Leach had a really interesting comment that I think ties in with prop bets really well. A couple seasons ago, they were looking at how to pick their captains for their football team, and and he talked about this at a press conference. He's like, you know, I don't know how to pick the captains. Do we pick the tallest guy, the shortest guy, the most experienced guy, the best leader? And we really sat down and thought about it and realized the one thing the captain actually does is the coin flip. So they looked at their roster and they had a player on their team who had recently been on prices, right. And, and done pretty well. So they picked that guy who I think was some like third string backup to be their, uh, their captain again, really to only do the coin tosses. And I think he went like six and one or something like that uh, by the time they had done that interview. So I don't know how the full season went, but he just had a ridiculous record. So maybe, Jacob, there's there's a little bit more to it than just the 50-50. I stand corrected. You have to account for the team captain. It's interesting. It's it's cool seeing how those, uh, I don't know, just the random data nuggets can, can get people interested. And I, I think we can spend a little bit of time now to reflect on how the two of us took our, our paths to get to where we are today. And I know just in the data world, you can talk to – a bunch of different people and, and the two of us will tell tell everyone who asks us as well there are different ways to get to the same endpoint there are different paths there are different degrees there are different experiences but if you can develop the the skills the knowledge and abilities there's a lot that you can do within the sports data realm um so I, why don't why don't you walk us through jacob what your journey has looked like in 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 how you discovered this was something that you were really interested in absolutely but just before i hop in I want to echo that point you just made, that there is no single path you have to take into sports analytics or, or into, even if you want to go in the coaching side of sports, you need to know some sides of data as well. Um, there is literally no one path. I don't think I know any two people who work in sports as data scientists or analysts who had the same path. All that matters is if you can do the work. It, it doesn't matter how you got there. Uh, it matters that you're actually able to produce, you're smart, you're able to think about problems analytically, uh, and, and beyond that, it doesn't matter. You'll get where you're going as long as you put the work in. So the way I got into sports analytics is 
both very nerdy and strange. Um, so the first way I got into basketball analytics at all was I just wanted to learn how to use Excel. At the time, I thought I was going to go and be a business major um, and go work on Wall Street or, or go work in finance for a company uh, or, or consulting or something like that. Um, so I knew I needed to learn how to use Excel. And I thought the perfect way to do it was to use my favorite sport, basketball, and build a essentially a player career arc projection model. So it, it taught me a lot about compiling data, um, formatting data, ways of comparing data, ways to project players forward, different formulas, stuff like that, how to process it afterwards. Um, and it was a monster of a project and it turned the results really bad. The model is, I haven't opened it in years, but it, it was abysmally bad. But it taught me a crazy amount about all the things that go into uh, a data pipeline to a model to understanding how to read an output, how to format an output, how to make a nice report. Uh, and, and those are all vital skills in data science um, outside of just like knowing sports and knowing how to code. Um, of course, most data science uh, in a more serious sense is done in a program like R or Python, which are more true coding languages. R is specifically designed for data science. Um, and it, they're both just kind of, in terms of data science, excel on steroids um, and, and let you work with vast amounts of data and do a lot more interesting things than Excel. Um, but after I did this summer project before I started college, um, I went to college. I, I went to Lehigh University. I graduated two months ago at this point. Um, and I started majoring in mechanical engineering, which is what I, at that point, what I thought I, I wanted to go into after uh, a year at school. Um, and obviously that is pretty different than data science. They, they both involve analytical problem solving, but in incredibly different ways. But through all of my four years of college, I maintained basketball analytics as a hobby. I, I made my Twitter um, and, and started posting pretty heavily to it maybe two and a half, three years ago um, and just met everyone I could, learned as much as I could about the right data processes, what people have already done in the analytics space and data science space in general, what I know of that, what I need to learn of that, what I can do on top of that. So through four years of studying to be a mechanical engineer, I, uh, after school, was able to just teach myself the skills I needed to do data science as a full-time profession. Um, now I, I am a sports data scientist uh, in every official sense of, of the word, um, plan on hopefully never having to do anything with my mechanical engineering degree. And it's, it's been a strange pathway of, of slowly realizing this thing that I taught myself for an entirely unrelated um, adventure, I suppose, ended up just being something I, I fell in love with and studying the data, finding any new information from it that, that hasn't been found before and building cool models, cool tools for people who aren't quite as analytically as inclined as I, 
in analytically inclined as I am, but still have interest in uh, advanced data and sports and the MBA, building tools that make it easier and more accessible for them to get into it and just make it more fun and, and more accessible, really. So it's been a strange path that has led to me actually turning something that was a side hobby into a lifelong passion. And now through B-Ball Index and getting to write at Nylon Calculus previously, um, it's really been great for expanding just my perspective um, of sports and getting a better sense of the amount of research and work that goes into preparing like a post-game summary for a coach that they'll maybe read for a couple of moments and then move on. And, and just the amount of effort that goes into these little things um, every day. And, and it's been a really cool process slowly going from uh, someone who knows nothing to kind of actually getting to do this full time as, uh, as an actual data scientist and get to work in sports every single day. It's, it's been a very fun and rewarding journey. And something stood out, Jacob, that you said towards the beginning, which was, you know, you develop some of those Excel skills, building that first model, and it wasn't good. And it didn't work. Mm -hmm. And if there are people out there who want to try similar things, don't let a first bad model turn you off to the idea. Learn from it. Learn from people like Jacob and others out there and, and try to get better every day. I mean, it's just like golf. If I go out and I try to play golf today, I'm going to be bad at it because I haven't done it and I haven't worked on my skills. So I can say, hey, you know what? I'm just bad at golf. Let's move on. Or I can put some work into it and, and develop a skill set. And maybe there are some people who are more naturally talented at specific things. Um, I'm not sure if, you know, doing data analysis in, in R or Python is one of those. But if it's something that you enjoy and you want to have a career in sports or in data, putting some work into it and trying to learn and, and just continue moving forward through trial and error is, is a great way to do that. And, and you'll have that opportunity. Uh, I think, I mean, you're a data scientist. You've made a career with that. Mm -hmm. I think I'll try to tell a different story from my perspective and, and where I've gone. And I don't see my, I'm not a data scientist. I, I don't need to say, I don't see myself as one because I'm not one. Um, <laughs> But I would say that what I, the, the way I approach data is just as the valuable tool it is. And I think being able to analyze and apply it is just so key in what we're doing in with what teams are trying to do and, you know, in the business world and other realms as well. I, I mean, running a data site, but, but not really being a data guy is, is a little strange. I, I say, I guess I am a data guy, but I'm more of a scheme guy than anything. Um, that's where my skill set is. That's where I've put in the most work. Um, just like you, my, some of my first experiences with some of these concepts were just trying to work on my Excel skills. Um, the first time I used R was building a fantasy football playoff projection model. And it worked out pretty well. Uh, it was just a fun thing on the side, but that's a skill set that can come into play later. Um, and, you know, just over time, with my different degrees and experiences working with things like SPSS or Stata um, or just building a model and, and trying to learn through trial and error or learn through poking around in, in spreadsheets that other people have out there, like 
ones that you've done, I'm like, oh, well, what is this? I don't, I've never seen this formula before. What is Jacob doing here? And just trying to understand the how um, so that I can apply some of those same concepts to be better at what I'm doing. Yeah. I just want to say quickly, you talking about going through other spreadsheets or whatever, going through examples of things that are already made, be it something for R that's been coded or Python that's been coded or a Google sheet that you or I have made, those are by far the best ways to really quickly pick up knowledge outside of obviously going through a project yourself, but just taking a look at what people have already figured out is a good way of doing solving X problem in your code or in your Google sheet or whatever you're trying to do. Go and look for solutions. They're already out there. Uh, and then it just really quickly will add on little things on top of little things into a model or whatever it is you might be building to just make it that much better without really taking a ton more effort on top of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Learn from others, learn, learn from them and, and steal and <laughs> to, you know, give credit yeah. where credit is due. But 95% of coding is taking other people's code and modifying it just a little bit. For sure. And I think, I mean, you had an engineering degree, you have more of a skill set in data. I, again, just like Scheme, it's it's a tool, it's information, it's helps, it, it advises strategy. It's something that can give you a competitive advantage in basketball, in the business world. I have three business degrees, um, a master's degree in business and use analytics with my job, even though it's not part of my job description from a, you know, people analytics, behavioral analytics side to understand how do we get people, how do we keep people happy? How do we attract, retain and develop the best people? How can we predict when people are going to leave a company? How can we analyze and improve the way that we're hiring and promoting and paying, you know, people of diverse backgrounds? There are different applications that use some of the same ideas and concepts and statistical softwares, languages, and tests. Um, so there's there's more than one way to approach this. And one thing that I find very interesting is comparing how things are done in the business world or in hockey or football or soccer or baseball, and then trying to take those concepts and apply them to basketball just to try to help continue to innovate and just learn from not just other people, but other sports and other realms where this type of analysis is used. One thing that you had mentioned towards towards the end of what you shared was, you know, it, it working towards having something on a post-game report that a coach might look at for a couple moments. And that's something that I was, you know, I experienced firsthand running an analytics operation for, for a team when I was in college. And I just learned how important that communication aspect is. You can have the best data. It can tell you all all kinds of great things, but if the people you're giving it to don't understand it and won't trust it, you're not going to get much done. And I, I think as things are moving forward with, with B-Ball Index and we're expanding the different uh, avenues that we're trying to impact the game, we're learning this all over again and, and having to keep things very refined in the way that we communicate and try to help under, others understand and apply what we're telling them. Um, and, and I think just some small examples of how we're doing that on the public side would be just with, with the grades that we're doing or the talent grades that just have very clear, easy to understand categories. And then just, you know, the letter grades that go along with them or using percentiles or 
Gravity Plus we discussed a couple podcasts ago. Things like that. <laughs> things on my agenda that I push like Gravity Plus. Um, it's it's easier to understand and it helps get a point across and it helps the data become more actionable. So learn what you're doing. If you love it, you can do it as a hobby and, and continue developing it and, and trying to find ways to add value or have fun or learn different things. Keep pursuing that. Learn from others, learn from people, different sports. Um, and, and these skill sets can help you not just, you know, talking about basketball online or, or working in basketball or, or sports analytics, but in other parts of your life as well. Um, and, and at the end of the day, you've got to be able to not just produce it, but understand and understand how to apply the information. Because again, it's just information or communicate to others to the, to the degree that they can uh, understand and apply that information. So those would be some of the big things that I'd recommend others looking to really focus on if they want a career or just a hobby in in this sort of realm absolutely and what you said just at the end there reminded me of something one of the professors i really liked in college uh would often say which is i mean this is related to engineers but you can insert any other job title in there and it fits he used to say it's not an engineer's job to plug in all the numbers into an equation and do the math it's the engineer's job to figure out what the answer means. And I think that applies to data science. I think that applies to pretty much anything where you have to do math. The math ultimately is trivial. Someone will do it. The hard part is figuring out a way to concisely and eloquently explain what a number means, how something happened, just the best way to communicate something to someone who doesn't necessarily have the same background as you uh, is by far the most important non-data or non-business or whatever industry you might be interested in working in, being able to explain it to someone who doesn't work in that same field quickly, concisely, and get them to understand it in under a minute is a crucial skill set to pick up if you're really going to like really succeed and, and go really far in life. Yeah. Work on it. I mean, we, people talk about their elevator pitches with their careers and, and who they are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've been having to work on my elevator pitch for for what luck adjusted data means. Um, yeah, <laughs> talking to people on Twitter, you know, character limits can can make things tough and make you have to cut corners sometimes. But being able to be, like you said, eloquent, eloquent and concise with what you're saying and what you're communicating is important for fans, teams, coaches, everybody. You had also mentioned how what we've done with b-ball index and in your previous writing with nylon and how that's been able to be beneficial to you in your career i'd say that finding a platform to share the knowledge people have and exhibit the skill sets that they possess would be something to do as well mm -hmm. i mean i got my start on twitter and you know tweeting and whatnot but putting together my own personal blog and trying to show hey here are some of the things that I think are interesting and, and trying to exhibit the skills that I had. And that ended up landing me with, with Laker film room for a bit and, and things took off from there. If you want to get into this realm, build your own personal blog or try to write for others um, places like B-Ball index. It's, I mean, we value these skill sets and we want to not just showcase them to the public, but find ways to help them, you know, have synergies with other things that we're working on and other other data that we have to be useful for, you know, real basketball programs and help teams win games. 
Um, so, you know, if, if you're interested in, in something with us, we've recently been tweeting about possible opportunities we have, um, looking at different skill sets around data visualization, um, DFS model design, or just model design in general, organic metric creation, or like machine learning or other advanced modeling techniques. Um, so if you have any of those things, or even if you have questions for us, I'd, I'd say that we're both a resource. Um, may, maybe ask Jacob the more complex questions, um, but we're, we're both a resource and we are looking to add those skill sets. And, and like you said, Nylon is another great place that gives you a good platform. And we see year after year individuals finding great opportunities to pursue those data careers with teams and in, in other spaces as well. Absolutely. Nylon just by itself has, I don't know the exact number, but multiple alumni of Nylon Calculus currently or previously have worked for MBA teams in their analytics departments or people have uh, gone on to consulting roles or other roles like my own in the sports data science field. And uh, Nylon Calculus is crucial and was crucial for a lot of that. We're hoping that we can help do a little bit of that as well. For sure. Just just getting started. There's there's a lot on the horizon that I know the two of us would love to share and, and a lot we still have to figure out, but things are looking up and, and we're we're happy everyone's uh, here for the ride. Absolutely. So we wanted to thank all of you for joining us this week. This was a lot of fun talking through both our own experiences getting into data, but then also getting to talk about some ways that we utilize our data uh, to improve our own research and make our own processes quicker for identifying players uh, and skill sets that we think teams could, could use. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, this has been the Bebo Index podcast. For Tim, I have been Jacob Goldstein. Hope you have a good week.